How many of you remember the last concert you saw before the lockdown? At this point in the pandemic, live music shows are starting to feel like a distant memory, but will they be a distant future? In this episode, I reminisce with Bar Shiru co-founder Daniel Gar about five of our favorite Bay Area venues and the concerts we loved seeing there. We've been away for a bit, a lot longer than expected, but uh, we're back at it with a new episode of Select Five, a series where cool people from the Bay Area and beyond talk about five songs and why they matter. I'm your host, Pam Torno, and sadly, we are not recording this podcast from Bar Shiru in Oakland like we usually do. Uh, This is going to be a COVID-safe remote production for the time being, but we do plan to return to the bar as soon as the bar returns to full service. In the meantime, I'm here, virtually, of course, with Bar Shiru's co-owner and musical director, DJ Daniel Gar, a good friend and frequent concert companion. Hey, Dan. Hey, Pam. How are you doing? I'm all right. Been better been worse. Sounds about right. Um, Yeah, I think everyone can probably say about the same. Um, I wanted to kick off the new season with you because uh, because it's a new year, uh, you know, a new administration. Thank the goddesses. Uh, Praise me. uh, (laughs) Even though we're um, we're still dealing with the same old pandemic, there's a reason for a new sense of optimism, though very cautious one. Vaccines rolling out in bigger numbers. and as of this recording, COVID-19 cases are declining. Um, we're nowhere near out of the woods, but we're a couple steps closer to it. So um, I'll take it. Um, and that's encouraging news for indoor gathering spaces uh, for music like Barshiru is. Yeah. Um, so the big question, Dan, is uh, what do you think reopening looks like for the bar? And are you hopeful it'll happen in some form this year? Yeah, I mean, million dollar question. Um, you know, I think we share your sense of cautious optimism. Uh, I think with the hopeful steady decline of cases and steady increase of vaccines, like we're looking at, you know, in a really optimistic world, midsummer, and then I think in a more realistic optimism, uh, probably September for our plans of reopening. That's kind of what we're looking at. Obviously, if things um, change for the better, we're going to be ready to um, open safely in whatever capacity that looks like, um, just given the public health situation. But yeah, you know, we're, um, you know, we're making it through and we're, trying to stay in people's feeds and stay in people's minds and uh, just be able to maintain ourselves and the business so that when things do become viable to reopen, we're able to do so. And yeah, we're really, (laughs) goes without saying, we're really, really looking forward to having people back in the bar and playing great music over the system and pouring drinks for folks and just uh, enjoying human company again <laughs> sounds pretty oh, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, when you say um, midsummer, um, uh, that doesn't seem so far away. What you're dealing with with the bar um, is 
you know, on a much smaller scale, what, uh, what concert venues are dealing with, um, right now. Um, cause those are, you know, managing, you know, crowds in the, in, in the hunt, you know, multiple hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands in confined spaces is just exponentially harder for the live music industry. And so that's why it's kind of, you know, the last thing that's going to, of all of the things to come back after the pandemic is probably the last thing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what everybody's saying. And that's kind of the feeling you get. And, and yeah, like to your point, it makes sense that large indoor tightly packed group gatherings are only going to happen once people are vaccinated and it's safe because those, as we know from the last, you know, 11 months is like, you know, those can, those can easily be super spreader events. You know, I think a lot of artists are going to have different feelings about it. Some are going to, I don't want to say be riskier than others, but you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of artists I think are going to be more conservative about that. And, and maybe even though things are looking more safe, they may opt not to tour. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like with, with everybody, artists and and just just all of us the um you know everybody's risk profile and risk tolerance is so different um that you know even even when things you know let's just say tomorrow they're like yeah everybody everybody's vaccinated and you can uh open indoors i I think there's still going to be a lot of people with some trepidation and i think that goes for not only you know, the patrons and customers, but staffs of these plays. And of course the, the, um, in, in the case of like live music venues, like the performers themselves, like, I think you're exactly right that some, some bands may just opt not to tour until they feel comfortable to do so, which who, who knows how long that's going to be. So, um, everything that I'm reading, um, it sounds like, um, people are estimating that outdoor concerts might start to come back. Um, possibly later this year, um, maybe the summer, maybe the, maybe the fall, which is kind of exactly mm-hmm. what you said about the bar, maybe the summer, maybe mm-hmm. the fall. Yeah. Um, but indoor shows, probably not until 2022, if that. Um, and that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a gut punch when you hear that, especially, you know, um, especially music lovers like us. It's just, it's, it's just really hard. Yeah, it's, it is really hard. And, you know, I think we're all really looking forward to the outdoor situation. And I think, you know, in the summer and fall is when that is an actual reality for the majority of, of the United States in terms of weather. Uh, you know, we're, we're lucky here in, in Northern California to be able to uh, enjoy the outdoors much more than a lot of people across the country, especially in the middle of winter. Um, but yeah, the the outdoor the outdoor show thing is going to be uh, a huge moment, you know, and it it's not going to help <laughs> the the indoor venues as you say, but hopefully it will still give us some of that um, that feeling of connecting with live music with others in a space and uh, having all of that energy focused on. Um, you know, music and uh, the, whole, the the reasons why we go to shows and, and love concerts in the first place is because of that commune, right? The mm-hmm. 
the um, connection to each other and the music in that moment. You know, I had, and I'm sure you did too, numerous tickets to upcoming shows when uh, things shut down last March. And for the first couple of months, they were like, oh yeah, rescheduled, rescheduled, rescheduled. And now it's like, for the majority of them, it's just kind of like refunds or just like crickets because everybody's just, you know. So this is where my concert strategy, my concert going strategy works in my favor because I, I'm a last minute <laughs> concert <laughs> ticket buyer. Um, and oftentimes that means shows sell out. Um, and then I end up getting uh, tickets from friends who did buy in advance and suddenly are not available that night. So that's been my strategy. So I thankfully um, didn't have any, um, I didn't have any uh, tickets that needed to be re- refunded. So, um, and now I realize that that might be uh, the best strategy uh, going forward. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I don't demand is going to be so crazy when things come back though, you know? That's true. Um, okay. So let's, uh, l- let's get into this now. So uh, Dan and I have gone to, to many, many live shows together along with our, our partners and our friends. Um, we're very much looking forward to the day we can do that again. Uh, but until that happens, uh, we're going to spend a little time on memory lane. Uh, so in a slight departure from our regular format, talking about five songs, we're going to chat about five Bay Area concert venues we miss the most. It was hard to narrow down. Um, there's going to be lots of honorable mentions. Um, but <laughs> let us start with venue number one, which is Great American Music Hall. Dan, this was actually your pick. Yeah, I, I love this place so much. Great American Music Hall is uh, in in the, the uh, edges of the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Uh, it's a beautiful old um, kind of Victorian concert hall. It was built in 1907, like after the the great earthquake and fire of 1906 in San Francisco. I so, love the history of this place. It's crazy. Oh, totally. It's just gone through so many interesting iterations um, as like a cabaret and, uh, you know, named after a brothel. And uh, Was uh, it not the city's first jazz venue or the first kind of desegregated jazz venue that's my understanding too yeah so not only does it have these like incredible kind of architectural and historical details but you know pretty pretty groundbreaking too uh for its uh for its day and you know i would expect nothing less from a a concert venue in san francisco yeah and it didn't actually become the great american music hall until 1972 uh and it is full of ghosts yes dan i don't know if you've ever had a paranormal experience when you've been there i never have and now i kind of wish i had even though i get scared very easily i haven't but i have heard those um those tales uh you know from from people in bands who have been there uh from uh staff members uh sound engineers who have been there kind of late at night as the crowds leave and they're kind of shuffling about the, uh, the, co- the, the corridors and the backstage areas that there's some, uh, yeah, there's some spirits in there apparently. And, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt it for a second. There's actually, um, if you follow the great American Music hall Instagram, they've been sharing ghost stories on there lately. So 
if you want to be creeped out. Um, so let's talk about what uh, memorable shows you've actually seen there in the past few years. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, their, their booking had gotten pretty sporadic over the last few years. So uh, honestly, most of my memories of, of great shows there are, are from a little while ago. Um, yeah, mine too. James Blake back in, back in 2011 was um, really memorable. Uh, there's a, there's a experimental Canadian band called Godspeed You Black Emperor who, who I really love and um, caught them there. And that's like, to me, that's the perfect kind of band for that room. You know they, they're they're this massive ensemble of uh, of musicians uh, from you know the experimental Canadian music scene, Constellation Records, and 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 that crowd. And I you know they have like live sixteen millimeter film visuals where they oh. have like these two guys making film loops <laughs> live, like literal physical film loops that are you know hundred feet long <laughs> running through a projector and like it's this really performative uh thing from from top to bottom uh the last two shows i saw there were, were um really excellent one was uh kevin morby who oh, I I've, yeah i've been been really into his output for the last few years and uh this electronic artist teebs who I love. He's on Brain Feeder, makes like really um, you know, melodic, organic, electronic music. I have memories of seeing, um, and this was a while ago now, but I, I have memories of seeing um, a band, a duo, a uh, short-lived duo called Bright Black Morning Light. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. They were a, a sort of a, a psych folk uh, uh, team from uh, Alabama, and they were they were just really they were really psychedelic and cool. Um, and so they, they played at great American music hall. It was a very, um, you know, you can, you can imagine the kind of crowd that would go see that type of band. And there were signs. I remember there were signs mm-hmm. up saying something like, if you're not wearing shoes, you have to leave, you know, like <laughs> you can't be here without, it was, it was like a hippie show. So like people would be there yeah, without yeah. shoes. Um, so yeah. anyway, I thought that was really funny. I, I've always wanted to, um, I've always wanted to get dinner there, but never wanted to spend yeah. the money. Um, uh, not because I thought the food was great, but just, you know, for the prime seating. Um, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. No, that, that psychedelic vibe is, is their, um, that's their lane in it. Yeah. Like I said, it works, works so well in that room. Let's talk about venue number two, um, which is. The Independent. The Independent. Love The Independent. Uh, as, a, as a note of personal history, the the first uh, indoor show I saw when I moved to the Bay Area in 2001 was at the uh, Justice League, which was the previous incarnation of, of, uh, of The Independent. They had this like 
U-shaped bar right in the middle of the floor. Um, and I remember a friend of mine and I walked from the Presidio because like back then it's like, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We had no idea. We didn't have Google Maps. And like on the map, it looked like it was pretty close. Oh, <laughs> it took us like like two hours. Oh man! To walk to see um, Money Mark. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, he was he was on his like post Beastie Boys uh, funk and soul run, but but yeah, the Independent uh, on Divisadero in uh, NSF is is such a classic. I've seen. Uh, way too many shows there. To be honest, I I love that place. And and actually, uh, this uh, recording prompted me to kind of go back through my uh, my ticket stub bag. I don't know. Do you have a ticket stub bag? I don't. I I, I used to have like a box, and now um you know I've I've just gotten rid of a lot of old uh, ticket stubs. Um, I keep some of them. Um, and they're kind of just like stuck in stuck in the mirror frames and just in various places, but yeah. Yeah. I am a, um, a, a sentimental hack. So I, uh, hold on to every ticket stub as some sort of, uh, you know, talisman of my, uh, coolness <laughs> that I have to prove to someone. <laughs> sometime. You're, you're not alone in that. I, you know, I, I have friends who like have like, um, you know, scrapbooks, yeah. where they keep their their ticket stubs so i mean I, I, that's a thing yeah no I, it is fun and and actually from a, a you know memory perspective looking back through this this giant bag of uh fading pieces of paper uh i noticed a lot of shows that i don't even remember going to <laughs> like oh I, shit i have that too i i just was looking through my my Fillmore concert posters and uh, same same thing. I there's a couple that I have that like I, I literally have no memory of going. To the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, the independent they they did a um, a a pretty great just kind of refurb and remodel probably five or six years ago at this point. Yeah, I remember. And just kind of like cleaned it up. The and, bathroom and, improvements. Yeah, big time, <laughs> big time. Uh, and just some some sound attenuation and stuff, and and just made it a really kind of world class, uh, intimate venue. I think it's you know five six hundred people tops, and uh, it just feels really good in there. And uh, it does. If I'm not mistaken, our well, actually, the last show I saw before the uh, lockdown was with you at the Independent. And mm-hmm. it was on uh, in December of 2019, and it was Ezra Collective. That is correct. That was a great show. Yeah, and I just... I did not know it was going to be my last one for a while. <laughs> I did not either, um, but I'm glad it was that one. You know, that was that was a great show. Those, those, those cats are... Um, they're just killing it right now and they play with such joy and uh, you know, they're so, they're just fun to watch. They really just love what they're doing and love connecting with, with the audience and they're all kind of virtuosos in their own right. They really are. And they're genuinely jo- joyful. And, and that was, I think probably the third time I've, I'd, I'd seen them. I actually, um, um, 
as much as I am, was not a fan of, of Slim's, I I went to see them at Slim's because I love them so much. And yeah. I had first uh, I discovered them when, at a one at South by I don't know how many years ago that was, but yeah. Um, so I'm always happy to see Ezra Collective any because you know they they are from London. Um, so they don't tour the U.S. that often. Right now, they're not touring at all. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, anytime they came to the uh, to the states, you know, it, it's kind of a chance in a lifetime. So absolutely, yeah, they're so emblematic of that whole London jazz scene and UK jazz scene right now. It's it's great. I also have to shout out um, the Independent for being the place where I first saw the Alabama Shakes in 2012. Mm. Um, which is pretty, you know, before they, they really, uh, before they really broke it really big, there was, there was a lot of hype. That was, that was a sold out show for sure. But I, I remember wanting to go, um, and it might've been right before they had released their first album. Uh, and I had an extra ticket and n- not too many people knew who they were at the time. So I was like, does anyone want to go to see this show with me? <laughs> and, you know, everyone being unfamiliar passed. And I think also it was probably like a Monday night or a Tuesday night. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so y'all missed out. Y'all missed out. That was a good show. <laughs> I remember that. I think I was out of town uh, for work. You might have been. When they when they were in town. And, and were they still the shakes at that point or had they changed? They were they- not. They had, they had just changed their name uh, to the Alabama Shakes. Um, gotcha. But literally had just happened um but yeah they were they were the shakes and i guess why did they have to change their name is it because there's already another band called the shakes you know i i don't know um i i remember reading and and i guess when the, you know I, I i don't know why they had to change it but when they changed it they were really interested in um you know just highlighting where they were from and just having ah. some having some pride in in their home but yeah Love them. As you were um, talking about before, it used to be called the Justice League. Um, it's also got an interesting history. Uh, I didn't know that it was a, a jazz joint called the Half Note Club. Did you know that? In the 60s, late 60s. Yeah, not until I was uh, reading about it for, for this. So, yeah, that was that was cool. Uh, I did know uh, that it used to be the Kennel Club. I, was, uh, I moved to the Bay Area. I moved to San Francisco in 95. So it was, uh, I think, still... The kennel club at that time but it was uh i guess on its way out but yeah t- um, terrible name and and <laughs> and really really bad reputation oh really how so i it was from from when i moved here and and i think even when they changed it to the justice league it was just like yeah just kind of like a, a a bit of a wild west situation where um a lot of like professional athletes and their entourages hung out there and there would often be like fights and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Again, that's all you're saying. Sounds rad. <laughs> also the Kent, the kennel club, like, come on, that's terrible. Uh, well, anyway, shout out to the independent. Yeah. Um, let's talk about venue number three, which is kind of a new kid on the block. It is, SF Jazz. Yeah. You know, I, I with obviously with Barshiru kind of featuring jazz as our musical jumping off point, it should come as no surprise that that, you know, we and I love 
jazz. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, shocking. I know. Uh, to have a place in the Bay Area that is focused on the not only the legacy, which which is important, but uh, really committed to the future of jazz is really exciting. And you know, their new home uh, in in San Francisco is so beautiful and so well done. Uh, that I just get really excited every time there's a there's a show to go to there. It is exciting. It feels like a real night out, especially if you go to the B-side first. You have a nice cocktail. You have some tater tots. Yeah, they have a great little bar there. Um, that, yeah, the B-side is great. Their, t- their tots are legit. Um and then yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. It it, it feels like a a great night out in the city, and I think people kind of like embrace that and tend to get like a little dressed up and yeah, it just feels really, it feels really cool. And I love that they have the, they have two different rooms. So they've got the, the minor uh, auditorium, mm-hmm. which is like the big room, which just sounds incredible. Yeah. And I love the wraparound seating. There's really not a bad seat at all in minor. Um, no, it, minor it, it's so well thought out and put together that, um, you know, it's built, it's built, for pure musical enjoyment and there shouldn't be a bad seat in the house because you know if you're doing sound correctly and and you you have put some thought into it there doesn't have to be a bad seat in the house so i I love that place but then they also have the little side room the joe henderson lab uh the joe henderson lab i've never actually seen a show in there we caught a reservoir uh they're they're like a jazz band from uh chicago what's the capacity in the joe henderson lab it's really tiny isn't it just like a couple hundred or something oh yeah it's maybe 150 maybe oh that would be nice um yeah and sometimes it's seated and sometimes it's kind of open dance floor it's it's kind of funny and some people get a little weirded out by the fact that there are windows out onto the street like it's a it's a corner space in that building that's at like an you know just like a city intersection and they've got the windows open, you know, so you can see in and out. So it feels a little bit like a fishbowl, but I think that, I don't know, that, that seems like an attribute to me. I think it's kind of cool to be, you just feel like you're in the city instead of just like an enclosed black box. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I like that. I like, I really love the, the architecture of the whole building and it's not, you know, it's not just a performance center. It's also like an education center. They do a lot of jazz education stuff there. Um, so just, you know, it feels, you know, like you said, very well thought out and, um, very much dedicated to community building, I think around jazz. But yeah, it's so, it's so great that there is, um, it's such a dynamic home for jazz in the Bay area. It's, uh, it's really special. So let's talk about some of the bands that we've seen there. Um, some of the musicians, um, yeah. I think ones that I've been to with you, uh, include, Kamasi Washington. Yes, yeah, I'm looking at the ticket stub for that show right now. January 7th, 2017. I mean, Kamasi. 
what, what, what more can you say about that guy? Yeah. Like, amazing. Uh, also amazing, uh, Antibalas. I think we were at that show yes. together. Absolutely. And that was, yeah. um, uh, well, at least the first show uh, there that I had seen where people were dancing. I, I think they, they, they do have lots of other bands where you can actually dance to, which... I guess you wouldn't you wouldn't think of that as you know a jazz show, uh, you know at a, a jazz yeah. venue. But um. yeah, the the I think they're still trying to f- kind of finding their footing with the open floor situation. Um, I I think it's cool, but I think it's like it can be a little awkward, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's the open floor, but then there's also the the um, you know the kind of assigned seats. So yeah. if you're in one of the assigned seats and you really want to like get up and dance, it's <laughs> it feels a little funny. Yeah. So. Yeah, people don't really dance in the seats. No, they're they're figuring it out. Um, but I think it's I think it's a good thing that they're experimenting with those types of shows and those types of artists and acts that that are a little more danceable like that's that's not a bad thing especially uh for a venue that's dedicated to jazz that's trying to expand and be a little more intergenerational yeah just totally you know focused on inclusivity because i think a lot of people hear the word jazz and they just have a lot of uh different connotations and and prejudices and notions on what that is and what that means. And I think people think it's a little more stodgy than it is, which is. Yeah. Stodgy stuffy. Yeah. That's why it's so exciting that people like Kamasi and Ezra collective are kind of carrying the mantle forward and uh, establishing what jazz is and can be. So that's, that to me is really exciting. Um, So sticking in the jazz vein venue number four which is yoshi's yoshi's good old yoshi's oh i love i love yoshi's and you know yoshi's is one of those places that i think about a lot when i think about um venues that are closed and because they're they're one venue you know they're they're independently owned and operated which most of these other places are too but they're small and they rely on kind of a consistently booked calendar uh, to, to maintain their viability as a, as a business. And and I just, I just feel for them right now. Um, Yeah. I was just reading um, a little article, a little write up in the East Bay express um, where they interviewed the manager from Yoshi's, um, and from the Ivy Room and maybe a couple of other smaller venues. Um, and yeah, they're having a hard time. They, I think, uh, tried to open up the restaurant to do some takeout, um, but didn't get a whole lot of orders. And unfortunately, a lot of food was wasted in the process. And it's just, it, it's really, it's heartbreaking because, um, you know, for my own, you know, our own selfish reasons, we want, we want to see live music, but there's, you know, there are people whose livelihoods are, uh, hanging in the balance. And, um, it's just tough to see a place like Yoshi struggle because it's been, um, it's been around so long and persevered. 
Yeah, it's it's an institution, and you know, it is arguably the kind of keystone business in Jack London, and it has been mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, it it brings people down there, and you know, they are they are kind of a, a high end sushi place too. So, you know, I can understand why it it maybe didn't work for like you know the the takeout thing which has obviously become the predominant way in which restaurants have survived the pandemic um but yeah when you're dealing with high-end very perishable cuisine you don't have a lot of wiggle room and it's really hard to convince the general public to spend that kind of money when it's going to come in a um a box and be eaten you know <laughs> in front of it in front of the tv uh you know and that that's part of the beauty of yoshi's is the experience of going to dinner and you know and and when you go to dinner you you get a really nice table in the venue and uh you know it is it's it's a whole thing it's a whole night out and uh it's impossible to recreate that without the physical spaces so yeah, I really miss Yoshi's. I miss it too. And I actually remember uh, the first show that I had gone to uh, with you and Shireen and, and a, a bunch of other folks. I can't remember who. Um, the first show was... Uh, I'm waiting for you <laughs> waiting to see if you remember what it was. Something, if, oh, the first show that we saw at Yoshi's together? Uh-huh. Oh, man. I'm just going to say it. it was Booker T. Jones without the MG. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, I also, uh, your mom came to visit and uh, you took her to see Roy Ayers. Yeah, that, that's right. And that was like classic Yoshi's, like you know, a, le- a legacy artist who uh, we all we all know and love. Uh, he plays at Yoshi's a lot. He does, he does, and and you know, that's part of it too. Is like Yoshi's is a home for those legacy cats who uh, aren't necessarily going to sell out or play SF Jazz, uh, and and people that want to book a multi night run in a city mm-hmm. so that they don't have to, you know, keep bouncing around. Uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these people are older and, uh, touring life is, uh, is, is challenging. So. Yeah. Yoshi's is my go-to place for legacy acts like that for sure. I don't think I have, I, I don't think I've actually seen a, a younger, more contemporary musician at Yoshi's and, and I'm fine with that. Like I've, um, you know, like I said, uh, Booker T. Jones, Roy Ayers. Uh, I've seen Pharaoh Sanders there. I saw Leon Russell. That's just my place to go uh, see, uh, you know, the greats before they're gone. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I actually have seen a few more contemporary acts there. Um, Diggable Planets and oh. some of the, you know, hip-hop acts that really uh, embody 
the jazz element of hip hop. So fun, fun history. Uh, so Yoshi's also um, has moved locations a, a couple of times. It used to be, um, well, it used to just be a restaurant uh, when Yoshi Akiba, the founder, um, uh, opened it. It used to be, it started as a restaurant in Berkeley and then uh, it moved to Oakland um, and it used to be on Claremont Ave. And at that location, uh, that was where, uh, it cl- that, so that I think it closed in 1996. And I think that was probably my first live jazz show was at the, the Claremont location of Yoshi's. Uh, one of the nice. last, uh, one, one of the last performances they had there was, uh, the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, so I saw that in 1996, uh, at the old, uh, Claremont. Yeah. Eddie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a great show and I'm just, I'm, I'm glad Yoshi's is still around. Yeah. It, it's, uh, legitimately is one of the best sounding rooms I've ever been in, in my life. And, uh, I have literally sat in kind of every section and, you know, kind of like we were saying with, with SF jazz, the minor auditorium, there isn't a bad seat in the house. I've sat in what would be considered the worst seat in the house, which is like back row, back corner, like couldn't be any, you know, it is the furthest away from the stage and blah, blah, blah. Sounded great. Sounded great. Yeah, I mean, as long as it sounds great, and it, it, it's no matter. Talk about COVID unsafe. Like you're really, they really stack you, yes. kind of like sardines a little bit. I mean, it's all everyone gets a uh, gets a seat, but the the seats are are really crunched together. But it, it you know, it, it's fine. It, it I I love it. Yeah, likewise, and and it's just kind of a class. In that way, it's just kind of like a classic jazz venue. I mean, yeah, you know, you go to. Uh, I mean, we would, you know. Last time we were in New York together, we went to the Village Vanguard and like, you want to talk about <laughs> stacking people up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, you're like literally sitting in someone's lap. Yeah. Smalls is like that too. It's just, yeah. Like yeah. that. that's the jazz show experience, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Pack them in. All right. So last but not least, mm. um, couldn't go out without mentioning the Fox Theater. Yeah, the Fox is such a, a important piece of the revitalization of Oakland and, and downtown Oakland nightlife, uh, and and just a really cool room. You know, the Art, art Deco facade, and then the beautiful ornate kind of Art Deco interior. Uh, and you know, you see the right band there on the right night, and it sounds really good in there too. Yeah, there's a lot of different architectural influences there, um, and it's it you know it was an- another one of those you know uh, legacy uh, venues that has been around since this one has been around since the 1920s. It was a movie palace, um, and it, mm. it stayed a movie house until uh, 1966, uh, and then it shut down for a long, long time. Uh, like decades. decades it was in disrepair and then bought at an auction uh by a couple that uh, basically saved it from becoming a parking lot uh and then, oh my god can you imagine yeah i mean like it, it, it's it's actually kind of amazing that it stayed closed for as long as it did but never got torn down uh because of a few people who just wanted to save it 
So, and then finally another planet uh, took over and now it's operating the Fox, which, uh, so they reopened it in 2009. Uh, and so that's a long time for that building to just be sitting there and, and not being used. Uh, and that, you know, like you said, it's like, it's, it's sort of symbolic of the revitalization of uh, the uptown and just kind of a symbol of, of endurance. And I've seen, you know, like the independent, like I've seen more shows than I can remember at the Fox. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great venue and, um, not for nothing. It, it also, the building itself also houses, houses, uh, Oakland school of the arts OSA. That's right. Um, so always a, uh, a huge amount of, artistic talented young people in and out of that building which kind of gives it a its own unique energy too which is which is really cool um but yeah the venue is 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 dope and yeah same looking through my stack of tickets had some some memory jolts uh actually the last show i saw there was was with you um november 2019 Brittany Howard on her solo tour. Oh yeah, such a good show. That was November 2019. Yeah, crazy. Wait, we saw David Byrne too. When was that? Yeah, so that that one kind of flipped my wig a little bit because we yeah we saw David Byrne do his American Utopia thing. That was in August of 2018. Isn't that oh. crazy? Wait, like that no, f- no, no. He, yeah, I'm looking at the ticket stuff. <laughs> I, I guess I thought it was more recent than that. I did too. Okay. That seems crazy. That, I, oh, that, I was just like, lie. Okay. I was just like, wait, that can't be true. I was like, Shereen, <laughs> check this out for me. Is this right? She's like, yeah, because Barashiru was not open yet. Oh, was it not? Nope. I've lost all sense of time. Well, it would have... It would have made sense if Barashiru was open that we would have gone there before or after the show. Uh, because luckily Barshiru is uh, two and a half blocks from the Fox. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the Barshiru ecosystem for sure. Or, or probably more accurately, Barshiru is part of the Fox <laughs> <laughs> ecosystem since they, uh, since they uh, were there about a decade before, but I remember uh, Bad Bad Not Good, Janelle Monet, Tame Impala. Probably the best Tame Impala uh, show that I had gone to uh, was in 2013, which talk about like really that long ago. 2013 was. So, yeah, you know, it, it again, you know, because of the, the convenience, it, it's it's convenient location. It's right by the bar. It's right on uh, television close to the bar it's close to um so many things and and just so easy it's so easy to go to to a show there um that you end up going to many many shows there yeah i my some of my highlights um that that david Byrne show was was awesome uh jamie xx when he was touring um in in color and you know it's just I just find it really just badass when a DJ spinning vinyl with a giant disco ball can 
can rock a you know 3500 person venue on a on a friday night you know you're just like whoo killing it i mean i you know that that record is one of my favorites maybe of all time at this point but regardless you know just just incredible um run the jewels multiple times uh i mean those guys i I can't can't even yeah i just can't even they're just they're just remarkable performers and you know i love lp and killer mike in in their own individual careers before they kind of got together and and formed run the jewels which is now in my opinion like you know arguably the the best and most politically important hip-hop band around (laughs) like kind of carrying the torch of what um rage against the machine was in the 90s i feel like that's like what run the jewels is doing um just like astute commentary with like insanely badass beats (laughs) yeah that's a perfect size venue for them it's a perfect perfect size venue period like i i personally um prefer smaller shows and the fox um is about as big as i like to get and as far as 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 far as concerts i don't not a huge fan of the arena style shows um i guess the one exception like the, the greek is obviously very very huge because it's outdoors but that's you know that's an outdoor thing so that's a little different but um those are obviously our, our, our five choices. Um, there are many, many other <laughs> venues that we didn't mention, and I think a lot of people would probably take issue. I think probably the biggest omission is the Fillmore, love the Fillmore, the Chapel, New Parish, Mezzanine, 1015 Folsom, Bill Graham Auditorium, the Warfield, Ivy Room, Jeffrey's Inner Circle, Mr. Tipple's Recording Studio, the Masonic, Monarch, the Paramount, Public Works, Rickshaw Stop. Oh man, I make I miss the Rickshaw yeah. Stop. Uh, and the Greek Theater, which is an outdoor venue. But uh, so hopefully that'll be coming back maybe sooner. Or something. Yeah, and, and there's like you know, and and like DJ clubs too. I mean, you mentioned the Monarch, but like Great Northern and Halcyon and places like that where it's like you know Public Works and club culture uh, thriving in, in the Bay Area when things get back at it too. So looking forward to that. Yeah, it's impossible to name it all. We just we just miss everything, <laughs> <laughs> miss all of it. Um, so just a shout out to uh, you know if you want to support any of these places, I know that Yoshi's has a GoFundMe page. I'm sure many of these other places uh, have them as well. Uh, SF Jazz actually has a whole list of resources for uh, COVID related art uh, artist financial assistance. Uh, Dan, do you have any new new upcoming stuff that folks should know about? How can customers support Barshiru through the closure? Yeah, we, we, we get that question a lot, and we're always incredibly humbled and thankful that people um, are, are thinking about us and want to support. I think, you know, the best way to support is to, because things are seemingly changing every couple of weeks, is to, to follow us on Instagram at Barshiru Oakland uh, for, for the latest and greatest, because Currently, as as of the recording of this episode, we are doing uh, delivery and pickup of uh, fresh made cocktails. Of um, we've got take flight, uh, which is kind of what we're calling our like whiskey flights in a box, uh, whiskey tastings for two that you can you know t- take home and and enjoy at your place. Uh, 
yeah, so we've we've got we've got those two things going, you know, following us on Instagram, hitting us on www.barshiru.com is uh, is always a good way to to keep in touch and then on Friday nights we often do uh, two hours of vinyl selections uh, streamed live on Twitch and that's uh, twitch.tv slash Barshiru Oakland. So, you know, we're trying to keep it together and, uh, and, and keep in touch with our, with our folks. And, and uh, you know, I think the good news is we are going to get out of this and it's uh, because of the support of, great people that uh, we're going to make it through. So anything that people want to do to support us is, is incredibly, incredibly appreciated. All right. So let's keep hope alive because Barshiru will be back and concerts will be back too. In the meantime, Dan and I have put together a playlist of famous live recordings made in the Bay Area. Hopefully that'll tie you over until venues open up their doors again. We'll post a link on our socials. We are Select5 on Instagram, Select5Show on Twitter. Follow us if you're not already. That's going to do it for this episode. I'm your host, Pam Torno. Our producer is Kate Sullivan. Technical producer and theme song composer is Brian Douglas. Until next time, get vaccinated as soon as you can. Stay safe and healthy.